Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and our topic today is curbing chronic inflammation with yoga and meditation. As a physician over the last, oh, I don't know, 20 to 30 years, I have noticed this increasing prominence of inflammation, uh, particularly chronic inflammation and the understanding of the role that chronic inflammation plays in the development of disease. So what do we know about how yoga, breath techniques, or pranayama and meditation can help us to curb inflammation? And I am joined today by the perfect person to discuss this with, physician and yoga therapist Baxter Bell, MD. Baxter Bell has been actively deepening his understanding of the power of yoga since making the stress-reducing move from a career as a busy family doctor to that of a yoga teacher and medical acupuncturist. He is on faculty for several yoga teacher training and yoga therapy training programs around the country. Baxter is a certified yoga therapist. He's also co-author with Nina Zolotow of the book Yoga for Healthy Aging. Baxter teaches public and specialty back care yoga classes and yoga for healthy aging online, as well as workshops and retreats around the United States and internationally. You can find out more about Baxter Bell's teaching schedule and classes at his website, baxterbell.com. Just how it sounds, baxterbell.com. You can also follow him on Facebook, Baxter Bell, and also uh, there's a Facebook page for Yoga for Healthy Aging, also on Instagram at Baxter Bell Yoga. There's also a prior episode of the Yoga Hour with Baxter Bell about Yoga for Healthy Aging from December 7th, 2017. And wherever you get your podcast, you can just put his name in there and that episode should pop up for you. So welcome, Dr. Baxter Bell. I'm really delighted to have you join me today on the Yoga Hour. It's so great to be back. Thank you, Laurel. <laughs> so before we dive in to our dialogue about curbing inflammation with yoga and meditation, let's begin with a yoga moment. Let's begin by walking the walk in addition to talking the talk. So let's begin. Oh. So let's begin by bringing our attention and awareness into the present moment, beginning with our body, just feeling our body in space, feeling any surfaces that are supporting our body at the moment. Perhaps we're walking and our feet are on the ground or sitting, feeling the chair or the cushion beneath us, 
just noticing, noticing those spots where the surface supports your weight. And then turning your attention to the breath. Wonderful tool to help us bring our attention into the present moment as we notice the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, noticing the cool air in the nostrils. And on the next exhale, noticing the warm air flowing out. And continuing to follow the breath, resting here right now, letting go of anything that happened earlier today, letting go of any concerns for what might happen later today, just resting. Here is something to contemplate from the Yoga Hours founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Consider the possibility that you have the body that is exactly right for your soul's journey in this lifetime. Consider the possibility that you have the body that is exactly right for your soul's journey in this lifetime, the vehicle that will take you where you need to go providing the essential life experiences along the way that support awakening to self-realization. Love and care for that body. Oh. So once again, Baxter Bell, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about inflammation and the role of inflammation in the development disease and how yoga can help to curb the effects of inflammation and support us in living a healthier life. Um, I noticed that you had an online course on this topic, which mm -hmm. is why I wanted to invite you back on the show. So how did you become interested in this topic of chronic inflammation, development of disease, and the beneficial effects of yoga in easing inflammation? Well, that kind of harkens back to why did I get interested in uh, healthcare and disease and healing, <laughs> which is a very long story. But, you know, certainly <laughs> I think I was reflecting on this yesterday. And um, uh, one of the big impetuses was my father uh, suffered from uh, bipolar uh, disease. Uh, and that started when I was a young child, actually, around age six. And so I kind of witnessed the challenges that he had and, um, you know, became interested in how do we provide compassionate care for people? How do we try to bring them back into a healthy balance uh, when they're uh, confronted with adversity in, in terms of their health? Um, and then of course, you know, I got interested in yoga in the mid nineties as just as a practitioner. Uh, I was in a stressful period of time as a young family doctor in the Midwest. And uh, I discovered the practice and found it was uh, not only challenging and beneficial for my physical body, but I spe specifically enjoyed the uh, challenge on the mental emotional level and the spiritual level that I discovered at my very first practice, which was so mm. sweet. Uh, and of course, then I went on to uh, study um, yoga and yoga therapy um, over the la ensuing 20 years that leads us up to today. And, you know, maybe five, t five, six years ago, as I suspect you also noticed, there was a lot more information coming out about the role that this, this um, interesting thing called inflammation uh, plays in both our health and in our illness. And um, and, it, and I was given the opportunity by the folks at Yoga U Online, which is a fabulous educational site um, that your listeners might be interested in as well, 
in uh, to do a program on inflammation and yoga, uh, because around the time uh, that I created that program several years ago, there was several decent uh, scientific studies that were starting to show some of the benefits of yoga, specifically as it related to inflammation. That's uh, not in well and not in good balance, we could say. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wanted to just mention when I first noticed uh, inflammation and the the increasing role that medical um, that medicine, Western medicine, has understood inflammation to have was when I was preparing to take the recertification exam for internal medicine board certification. You have to take it every ten years. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it was, this was in 2012. And as part of the review for the exam, I had to spend a lot of time going through every disease system and reviewing mm -hmm. all kinds of the new information that had come out in the the last ten years be between the last time I had taken the boards. And every, practically every single disease, it was amazing. Every single disease was like inflammation, inflammation, mm -hmm. inflammation. So it, it really is one of those different stories about the body it was quite the way we view it now is so different than when I was in medical school in the, in the 80s, where, and the other thing I should say that's really different is the microbiome and the understanding mm -hmm. yes. that we have now that the bacteria in the gut is so influential in our health and disease. And I'd say the other thing that's really remarkable is the focus that's been on inflammation. So just to kick us off and to tell people why we wanted to talk with them about inflammation, what are some of the diseases that we now know are associated with inflammation? Yeah, the, the list is, as you said, long and growing day by day, it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to make a clarification just so our listeners uh, know what we're talking about. We're usually talking about uh, what's called chronic low-grade inflammation that is persistent over time in our bodies versus appropriate short-term inflammation that happens in many healthy situations or when the body's trying to bring us back into balance. So uh, when we develop this uh, situation of chronic low-grade uh, inflammation and it's persistent over time, uh, this situation now has been connected with almost all of the illnesses of aging. So as you know, my background in yoga for healthy aging, I'm really interested in how can we keep people healthy as they get older. So things like cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis, the hardening of the, the blood vessels in the body, um, uh, even uh, unhealthy obesity, a weight, a weight gain that is not a healthy weight gain has been associated with chronic inflammation. Uh, some of the uh, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, certain forms of dementia, Parkinson's, uh, all have a connection now with uh, the presence of inflammation. Type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance that often leads to the development of type 2 diabetes is now associated with chronic inflammation. Uh, more and more cancers are being seen as connected to the presence of chronic inflammation. One that is really well documented is colon cancer. Um, and even other kind of more mysterious conditions that sometimes fall into the category of syndromes like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome seem to have a connection with chronic inflammation. And now we can add to the list uh, long COVID or post-COVID syndrome, which we're seeing in up to 10% of those that have been uh, tested positive for COVID um, seems to be connected with a dysregulation of the normal inflammatory system in our body. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's a huge list. It keeps getting longer and longer. And uh, it, it may be one of those underlying fields of awareness that we, like you said, we weren't aware of 25, 35 years ago, that now we've, you know, the veil has been pulled away from our eyes and we're starting to see uh, this interesting new factor that we might be able to have some influence over. Wow, that was quite a list. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, just, um, I, I wanted to start there 
because I, I do feel like it is a story that many people may not be aware of is the association of chronic inflammation with these diseases. Cause I wanted to have them keep listening. <laughs> they, may, mm -hmm. they may not have, have uh, thought that they needed to hear about inflammation, but now I, I think everyone knows that they do. So, um, we both have training in Western medicine as well as in yoga. And so you had mentioned the difference between acute inflammation and chronic inflammation. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, to start there a little bit. So how do you describe the process of inflammation when you're teaching about this? How do you describe it uh, to your students? And what are some examples of how actually acute inflammation actually helps us to remain healthy? Yes. Yes. So, you know, it, it, you know, it, sometimes I'll, I'll introduce this idea of inflammation in my regular yoga classes or my therapeutic classes, and sometimes in a setting like a talk that I'm giving specifically on inflammation. So uh, in many ways, it's, it's the same way we might think about um, stressors in our lives. Stressors in our lives are kind of objectively neutral. It's the way that we interact with the stressor that tends to create the problem. So inflammation <clears throat> is a bodily reaction that takes place in many settings. Sometimes it's in balance and beneficial, and sometimes it's out of balance and not beneficial for our health. So I think it's important to keep that in mind because as we're gonna be talking about low-grade chronic inflammation in some detail today, we may lose sight of the fact that the vast majority of the time, for many, many people, the body's immune system, which utilizes inflammation to our benefit, is operating in a really good way, <clears throat> right? So we gotta mm -hmm. just keep that tucked away in the back of your mind. Um, yeah, we don't want inflammation to go away altogether. No, we don't. Because we don't want then to, we yeah. wouldn't be able to heal from all the little <laughs> things right. that that happen to us. So yeah. yes, yeah. continue. So yeah, so when so when inflammation is operating on our for our benefit, uh, the immune system uses it for uh, fighting infections that we might be exposed to. Um, it uses it to heal injuries, <clears throat> such as traumatic uh, injuries to our, the tissues of our bodies. Um, for instance, I've been playing tennis a lot and I tweaked my ankle a couple weeks ago and it's gradually gotten better. So I know in my mind, in my intellectual mind, that my body's been using inflammation to get in there and clean things up and uh, promote the healing process. The other really important thing that uh, inflammation is involved in uh, is identifying, it's part of that process that identifies early uh, abnormal cells in our bodies, in other words, early cancer cells, and helps to clean them out. So it's part of that process of continually monitoring the fluids in our body, the tissues in our body, and removing the stuff that isn't healthy for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then talking about the process of acute inflammation, the classic signs of acute inflammation, for example, say we've been uh, in the kitchen, we've been uh, cutting our vegetables for dinner, and we accidentally cut our finger with a knife. And so these are going to sound familiar to people. It gets a little painful. There's some right. redness that develops. It gets warm, and it may get swollen depending on how big of a cut there is. And so all of those are the classic signs of acute inflammation that, again, you know, if you've stubbed your toe or gotten a sprained ankle or any of the things that you just, you know, mentioned fighting uh, off an infection, um, this um, pain, redness, heat, and swelling are the classic things that go along with it. But there are other things as well, symptoms that may be associated with acute inflammation. So tell us about those. Sure. I just want to mention that, that that list of four things that you just described for everyone, we've actually known about that since Roman times. At least that's the first time 
it was written down in a text by, I think, Aurelius Celsius, the person that our temperature gradient is named after. Um, so, so it's so fascinating that for at least a 2,000 and some years, we've had a written text that describes that process of acute inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, if we think about another situation where acute inflammation is really important, and that is when we're fighting uh, infections from viruses and microbes and things, we can have a lot of other physical symptoms that can show up, things like fever and chills, especially if an infection is spreading throughout the body. Um, uh, just general fatigue can be a sign of inflammation, which is kind of acute inflammation. Um, people can lose their appetite acutely when the body is uh, involved in this process and acute inflammation is present. Um, even muscle aches and headaches have been associated with the presence of acute inflammation. So a lot of the symptoms, it, it kind of sounds like I've just described the flu, uh, but indeed that often happens with upper respiratory infections and flus and things like that, that we get a broader range of systemic or full body symptoms that we can experience as well. Exactly. And I was also thinking about a recent experience that I had with inflammation, which is when I got the second vaccine, oh, the second mm -hmm. COVID vaccine, because I had, I was really tired. I was mm -hmm. a little achy. Mm -hmm. I did kind of feel like I had a low grade, low grade flu symptoms, that, but I knew that that was my own body's immune system just responding to this challenge of having received the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had the same experience with my second shot as well. And uh, for both shots, I had quite significant swelling at the site of injection and a real sense of fullness and soreness there. Now, mm -hmm. it didn't necessarily feel hot to touch, but it kind of covered several of those uh, original uh, reactions as well. And it was present for a good two or three days in my arm. Yeah, yeah, mine yeah. too, for sure. Yeah. Um, just interesting, and to know that that's where it comes from is actually our own uh, our own immune system, and the good the good things that are going along with that are helping our body to create this immune response that we want in um, response to exposure to the vaccine. So we've talked about acute inflammation, but really, when we talk about chronic inflammation, we're more talking about a confused immune system. I, I liked your term there, the confused <laughs> immune system. So what are some of the potential consequences of having a confused immune system? Yeah, so the, the main consequence is that, you know, normally if we have an acute infection, for example, the body responds with uh, an inflammatory response. It calls in specialized white blood cells. The body releases special chemicals that are called cytokines. And uh, we deal with the infection. And once that takes place, there's a natural process of things getting basically, they were turned up essentially or upregulated and then they have to be turned down or downregulated by the body. So yeah, sometimes a metaphor that's used is kind of the, the military metaphor of, of a military that's standing ready for action. Um, and if it's called into action, it, it takes care of the conflict that's involved. And then after things settle down, everybody heads back to the barracks and uh, things are quiet for hopefully a very long time. Uh, well, what happens in chronic low-grade inflammation is, for, for many reasons, that inflammation doesn't get turned completely off. And so, like uh, forgetting a pot on the stove uh, the, uh, with a low flame, the inflammation continues to be present in our body system. And the longer it's present, the more it tends to have negative consequences for our health. One example of, an, another example of how inflammation causes problems is that in some situations, the body starts to become confused about what is self and what is other. So for example, in the condition known as rheumatoid arthritis, uh, the body confuses the normal cells that line the inside of our joints 
as invaders, as if they were bacteria or viruses that aren't supposed to be there. And the body continually goes after those tissues with an inflammatory response, an immune response, which causes swelling of the joints and destruction of those tissues and then loss of function over time so that you can't you know, move those joints very effectively. Mm-hmm. So that's a an example of an autoimmune condition where the body also confuses its own tissues as a foreign invader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that does sound like the immune system is confused. Yeah. <laughs> it's attacking. It's In attacking case, the body. Confused. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and you just mentioned you mentioned rheumatoid arthritis, but that's just one example of many, many autoimmune disorders that the body can develop. Yes. So one of the things that interested me. Uh, about the slides that you sent me at this talk as I pulled this talk from that or this conversation from that is the association of chronic inflammation with aging. Mm-hmm. And I yes. liked the, the the term that you used, inflammaging, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I came across that when I was doing some research on this topic. And, you know, researchers and scientists that have been studying inflammation now for the last 20 years or so have seen the direct correlation between advancing age and the presence of persistent low-grade chronic inflammation. So because it's so prevalent as people get older, and aging is one of those risk factors that puts you at higher risk for developing chronic low-grade inflammation, they basically uh, created this new term to describe this particular situation. So it, it almost we almost get the impression uh, when we encounter this idea of inflammation that accompanies the aging process, that it is inevitable and that there might not be much we can do about it. And and I, I want to caution folks to say that if we don't uh, lead a very healthy lifestyle, if we're kind of sedentary and we don't uh, you know, take advantage of uh, our choices around food and, and healthy diet, uh, if we have lots of stressors in our life and we're not addressing those in the healthiest way possible, then in all likelihood, yeah, as we get older, we're going to see more and more of this chronic inflammation. And so we might suffer from uh, uh, inflammaging, uh, as it were. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit, but there are some proactive things that we can do to try and at least slow that process down or dampen it down a little bit. And that's the exciting part is that yes. there are things that we can do. That's <laughs> right. going to be that's going to be in the second segment. But I did want to spend a moment talking about some factors that are believed to contribute to the development of inflammation. So we do understand a little bit about some of the things that that are this that cause this association where, as we age inflammation becomes more prevalent. And and I would point out, you talk about it as a risk factor, but this is the one risk factor that everybody actually wants to have, because if you're not aging, that <laughs> means you're dead. So it's like, yes, nobody wants, to, nobody wants to really get rid of this one. Everybody wants to stay alive and keep aging, That's but right. we do need to understand some things that can help with that. And maybe um, I thought it would be useful to talk about some of the ways, like, why is that? Why is inflammation associated with aging? Uh, well, uh, well, it's because all of I think all these other risk factors that I'm going to share with you uh, tend to have a cumulative effect, right? So if we keep uh, if we keep uh, allowing the presence of, of some of these risk factors in our lives, because we can actually do something about many of them without addressing them, then the the, the time factor itself, these things being present more uh, over time, tends to create more chance of the ongoing inflammation. For example, if you smoke cigarettes and you don't quit the longer you continue smoking, the more that's going to stimulate the inflammatory processes in your body. 
if stress is unaddressed in your life, in your lifestyle, and its presence for long periods of time, that's going to, again, be an ongoing risk factor for developing inflammation. Um, if uh, by virtue of um, unhealthy habits such as being sedentary and not making good dietary choices, you start to put on unhealthy weight uh, that isn't appropriate for your particular constitution or your frame, then the presence of obesity itself can be part of the feedback loop that creates chronic inflammation we've discovered. Um, we also know that if there's the presence of depression and anxiety that goes untreated, uh, that the mere presence of those conditions puts you at higher risk for developing chronic inflammation over time. Um, if you have the development of high blood pressure and you don't do anything to address the blood pressure, the longer you have high blood pressure, the more likely you are to have chronic inflammation as well. Um, and the same thing with insulin resistance and diabetes. Um, sedentary lifestyle. And there are some genetic components, which obviously we may not have control over, but we now know that we have control through what's called epigenetics. And that's our lifestyle choices that often influences which genes get turned on and turned off. So those are a pretty broad swath. And again, a pretty long list of risk factors that can, tr can contribute to you developing chronic inflammation as you age. Yes, and it's it's that's a great list and uh, a good long list. You also um, in your side set talk about uh, factors contributing the, to the development of inflammation that are, are things like changes to the genes that that promote pro-inflammatory chemical production, chronic stimulation of immune cells by certain viruses, yeah. such as cytomegalovirus. And again, the older you are, the more likely you are probably to have been exposed uh, to that. Right. So um, you want to say a couple more from that list? Well, I, th I think uh, you, you mentioned those. Uh, th these are a little more complex in, in their, um, uh, you know, in how they operate. I think one of them that, that was on the list that's interesting is that uh, sometimes there are some of these genetic changes over time that cause what's called senescence or early, um, early aging of the actual cell lines. So we have these stem cells that can reproduce themselves over time. And because we can replace cells as they get older, we tend to stay relatively healthy. But what can happen is as more and more of those cells kind of die off and they break down, and some of that breakdown, uh, get, yeah, it gets accumulated in our system, that that can actually, those breakdown products can actually stimulate inflammation themselves, especially in places like the brain. Mm -hmm. So some of these are more complex, uh, microscopic things that take place, but we're learning more about that, which is exciting. And some of our yoga practices may have influence on those over time. Which is the perfect segue <laughs> into what we're going to talk about in the next segment. So we've come to the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour. My guest today is Baxter Bell, MD, as well as certified yoga therapist. He's also co-author with Nina Zatolau of the book Yoga for Healthy Aging, and his website is baxterbell.com. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of The Yoga Hour. When we come back from the break, we're going to be exploring more about yoga's tools to help curb chronic inflammation. We will be right back.
Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and my guest today is physician, yoga therapist, and author, Baxter Bell. So, Baxter, in the first segment, we talked about the differences between acute inflammation, which we want in our bodies, we want to be able to heal, et cetera, um, but also talk about the chronic inflammation, which is associated with a whole variety of diseases. And now let's turn to what we know about how yoga affects chronic inflammation. So you mentioned several different scientific studies that show that various yoga practices are able to decrease inflammation. And I thought we'd dive into one in particular. So would you describe the 2014 study that looked at using yoga with breast cancer survivors? And in particular, what types of yoga practices were used and what did the results show? Sure. Um, well, this was a, a study that looked at, uh, as you mentioned, people who had survived breast cancer. Um, and uh, what they did is they uh, had the study group uh, practice yoga on a regular basis. Um, and it was interesting because uh, what was great about this particular study is, and this isn't true of all studies that utilize yoga, is they actually listed the protocols of um, classes that they taught to the women in the study group. So we actually know exactly what they offered over time. And what I was so impressed with, it was a fairly exhaustive list of uh, yoga practices and, uh, and a few breath techniques that they were using for this group of people. So maybe I can just share a little bit about what, what that was all about, because I think it's worth noting what they what they did. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in, in particular, they started with uh, poses that were done uh, lying down on the ground or close to the earth. So some of these are going to be very familiar to those of the people in the audience who do yoga. Uh, but lying on the back, what I call the strap to foot pose with the leg up in the air and a strap around the foot. Uh, the active bridge pose, where you lift the hips up in the air with your shoulders and your feet on the ground. Uh, child's pose, which of course many people know is a quieting pose for the body. Uh, puppy pose, which is like a little a easier variation of downward dog where the knees stay on the ground. The cat and the cow, which are almost a staple of every uh, gentle yoga practice in the United States at least. Uh, <laughs> right. the, the cobra, the down dog, and... Uh, uh, and a few others. So those were just the poses that you could do lying down on the ground. Then they had standing poses that they recommended, a uh, chaturanga at the wall. So instead of doing that strong push up on the ground action, they had people use the wall standing, um, a kind of side bend done against the wall to open up the side of the body, uh, the spread legged forward fold and mountain pose were their standing postures. They had some sitting poses that they recommended, a simple sitting twist, a uh, simple uh, sitting forward bend, a straight-legged forward bend. And then they had several restorative poses, including Shavasana, everybody's favorite, at the end of class. Uh, but they also did reclining cobbler's pose lying on the back and legs up the wall pose. 
and a form of supported bridge where you have a bolster or a block underneath your hips. And then they had three specific pranayama or breath techniques that they utilized in that study, including the large uh, deep three-part breathing, uh, the ujjayi breath, which I call that Darth Vader breath, that sound that we make in the throat, right. and the alternate nostril breath, moving the breath from side to side in the nose. Um, so uh, in, in the course of doing that, what they found is that um, they had, uh, it was effective in lowering some of the, the blood markers of inflammation that we see, and also some of the quality of life factors, such as having more energy, uh, less fatigue, and overall a greater sense of well-being was noticed in the group that did yoga regularly. Okay. So, you know, regular practice, and, and I think one of the um, observations either in this study or, or one that was fairly similar was they observed that the more regular the person practiced yoga, the greater the benefits seemed to be, right? Okay. So that old adage, right? You know, how do you get to how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 right? You have to practice all the time, right? Mm -hmm, so it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's good. So that's exciting, actually, I, I find. So this these were hard scientific outcomes, meaning that they were looking for inflammatory chemicals in the blood. And they found that those decreased with this regular yoga practice. Thanks for the details of exactly what was included, because I think that's inspiring to find yeah. out what, you know, what can have an effect. So, yeah. and I think a, a lot of people, obviously people who practice yoga do it because it makes them feel better. So you get to yes. the end of a class and you feel much better. And so perhaps it's not surprising that it has all of these beneficial effects, but it's cool that it does yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So what are some other yogic practices that have been shown in various scientific studies to decrease inflammation? Well, uh, I meant I alluded to the um, the breath techniques that were used in that that previous study, but there was a really cool uh, study that was done looking just at pranayama, and they were kind of testing out a new technique for checking for inflammation using a a swab inside the mouth to check on saliva samples. So that was kind of the the test that they were evaluating. Uh, but what they did is they actually had folks do uh, one of two pranayama practices, and what's so great about the first one is that you started off our meditation by using uh, chanting the word Om. And what they did in the first practice for the group that was doing the yoga or the breathing practices was that they had them uh, do a chant for 10 minutes. That was one of the two breath practices that they did. So, so chanting or mantra repetition uh, is felt to be effective. <clears throat> and then the second uh, technique was a form of alternate nostril breathing where they had folks breathe in through one side of the nostril for a couple of seconds, gently hold the breath for a few seconds, and then exhale out for double the time that they uh, were breathing in. So it was a form of alternate nostril breathing or what's known as Nadi Shodhana. And um, that, um, uh, uh, that simple practice of 20 minutes of pranayama, when compared with, with people reading a relaxing book for 20 minutes, that was the control group that they compared it against, um, they found that that also lowered two inflammatory markers significantly. So again, something as simple without ever having to pull out your yoga mat. You could mm -hmm. simply be sitting, taking a break and do, um, do your pranayama practice. And we now know that that also has the potential to lower those inflammatory markers in our body. Again, just super cool that they've looked at these uh, practices with these hard outcomes and hard outcomes. I mean, these are not how does the person feel, but this right. is something that is a scientifically measured chemicals that are in the saliva, chemicals that are in the blood. These are these are not something that um, 
that is as susceptible to something that's subjective, like how someone feels at the end of a class. As I mentioned, most people feel great at the end of a yoga class. Um, But, and and that definitely has effects. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but I think the, in order to really get interest from Western medicine, it's really helpful to have these hard outcomes. And one of the other things that I, I, um, we, you kind of touched on, but I wanted to bring back is this idea of epigenetics, yeah. where yoga actually has been shown to affect the the way our genes express are yes. expressed. So can right. you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think a, a great example is uh, I mentioned that cardio, uh, the risk of heart disease goes up with chronic inflammation. And, um, you know, a Bay Area uh, researcher, uh, Dean Ornish, who's up in the North Bay, has repeated the same study uh, over the last 40 years, like five times now. And each time he repeats his heart study, he has better technology to try to explain why he has observed that people doing uh, simple walking exercise, regular yoga, vegetarian diet and support group, those are the four prongs of his treatment protocol, uh, can actually reverse blockages in the heart blood vessels. Right. And we know that that process of developing blockages is related to chronic low grade inflammation. And so in the most recent iteration of that study, he noted that there were 500 genes that were beneficial for heart health that actually got turned on in the people that did his protocol. And there were 500 detrimental genes or bad genes, if we want to think of that way, that were turned off because we have the technology now to actually see those processes happening. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he basically took lifestyle changes, applied them to this very devastating condition of documented heart disease. These are all people that are uh, at risk of having to have emergency surgery for heart disease. And he was able to show that you can actually open back up the blood vessels. <clears throat> which is just amazing. It really is amazing that totally, there's that, yeah. that level of proof. And as you said, that he's repeated it several times. I think this, we were talking at the beginning of the show about how certain things are just viewed so differently. And this is another thing I'd add on the list. So we talked about the microbiome of the gut and its impact on disease. We talked about inflammation, chronic inflammation that we're discussing today, but then this idea of epigenetics. So people may not be as familiar with it, but even if we have genes in our in our genome, it doesn't mean that they're being expressed. Some of them are mm-hmm. hidden away and right. they don't have any negative effect. And so now this idea of epigenetics, and what's really exciting is that yoga has been shown in several studies, like the one that you mentioned, to have an effect on that. Isn't that mm-hmm. amazing? Isn't it that is. amazing? You know, yes. that really we are impacting the way our genes express in our body by doing something yoga, any of a variety of practices that, that show that just what you said, that, that we're turning on upregulating the good genes that have the beneficial effects and we're downregulating the bad, you know, bad quote unquote genes, but the ones that have the detrimental effects, the one that, the ones that increase inflammation. Exactly. So in addition, you had gone through a long list of uh, things that risk factors uh, with aging that are associated with, um, with inflammation. And we should just take a moment to point out that yoga has been shown to positively impact a bunch of those things. So not specifically, in other words, they weren't looking at these inflammatory markers, but we know that they are, that yoga has an impact, for example, on anxiety and depression. 
that has been proven. So what are yeah. some of the other ones from that list that yoga has had a positive, ha, has been proven to have a positive impact? Well, sedentary lifestyle, you mentioned right. yeah. obesity, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the list is, is, is almost the same. The list of risk factors is almost the same list of things that yoga can actually potentially improve. Right. So that's kind of sweet that there's very little left un, unaddressed if we practice regularly. So we have studies that show that, um, that uh, yoga can can um, improve the situation of obesity to help people actually get back to a healthier uh, weight. Uh, very effective in managing stress. Um, uh, can actually help as an adjunct to treat depression and anxiety. Um, can also lead to positive dietary changes in people who do not have a healthy diet. Yoga can be very helpful just in general in uh, changing unhealthy habits to healthier habits. So we can think about excessive alcohol intake, we can think about uh, smoking, things like that, or just having a poor diet, all things that are, are kind of lifestyle choices in some ways that we can start to have an impact on. Uh, yoga has also been shown to reduce the risk of developing high blood pressure and type two diabetes, as well as can be used as an adjunct to address those things if they are present already in your body. Um, it's also, uh, yoga has been shown to have some impact on uh, the hormonal balance in the system, the what's known as the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is one of the main underlying background feedback loops in our body that helps to keep us healthy and balanced from day to day and moment to moment. Um, and also it's been shown to help uh, change us from being sedentary beings into be people that actually have healthy amounts of exercise in our lives on a regular basis. So really the beautiful thing about starting a practice or maintaining it is that you're often addressing almost all of the risk factors for developing low-grade chronic inflammation in your life. Wow. I think we've given listeners a long list of exciting reasons to continue <laughs> and increase their practice of yoga. So that's great. Yes. <laughs> so after you reviewed all of this information about yoga's impact on chronic inflammation, so what yoga practices do you recommend to uh, for listeners to include in their daily or weekly routine in their yoga practice. Uh, great. This is a, one of my favorite things to talk about because uh, basically um, it's it's almost all of the tools that are in your, your yoga toolbox. But I'll, I'll try to mention some of the reasons why I like these particular things as we go through them. So number one, I think that active yoga poses are a foundation for your practice. And so that's going to be things that are just slightly more challenging for you on the physical level. They're a little more demanding so that, you know, your yoga practice does take on, it becomes a form of physical exercise that you're doing. The asana practice becomes a form of physical exercise. I want to mention real quickly that, uh, that in a book called Exercise that just came out recently <clears throat> by Daniel Lieberman, fascinating book on the anthropologic and, um, a study of exercise, he notes that during acute strong exercise, we have a, an immediate increase in inflammation in the system. And then uh, shortly after exercise, our body naturally switches to an anti-inflammatory response. So when we exercise, we get healthy inflammation and then we have it resolve back into its quiet state that we talked about earlier, like it ought to be operating when our immune system is working well. <clears throat> so exercise is really great for that. So active yoga poses, and then also the gentle yoga poses and the restorative yoga poses have been really helpful, both for stress management, 
environment, for conditions like depression and anxiety, but also for weight management. Interestingly enough, some of the restorative practices have been found to be very helpful, which is kind of counterintuitive and paradoxical because we think, well, don't you have to be very active to lose weight? Turns out that's not always the situation. Um, the pranayama choices that we have in terms of our breath work really depends on the context in which you find yourself. So some of the practices can be mildly and gently stimulating for your nervous system, and they may be appropriate at certain times. Some of them are balancing generally. So if you're just feeling a little off balance, they can bring you back into balance. And others are quite calming for the nervous system. So depending on what you as an individual are experiencing, you can pick and choose the breath practice that is just right for you to address the risk factors for inflammation that you know are present in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, meditation, uh, which is uh, has such great impacts on, on our brain and our brain waves, um, can be very simple, such as simple breath awareness is very effective for uh, starting to work with uh, meditation if you're new to meditation. A mantra repetition, as I mentioned earlier, where you might be chanting audibly something or repeating it mentally to yourself quietly. And then one other practice that I love to talk about is called Brahmari breathing. This is the, the little humming sound one can make with the lips closed, which naturally lengthens the exhalation. But we now know from studies related to COVID that humming uh, increases something called nitric oxide in our nasal passageways and in our bloodstream, which improves respiratory function and cardiovascular function. It's a really amazing molecule. And it tends to have generally anti-inflammatory effects in the body. And we produce it within our own bodies. We don't have to take a pill to get these effects. So isn't that cool that we can spend maybe five minutes doing a simple humming meditation with the lips closed because it involves breathing in and out through the nose and creating vibration inside the nasal cavity to produce this really cool molecule called nitric oxide that has health benefits for us. Mm, that's amazing. Really, really amazing. That was bonus information that we didn't have in that original presentation. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Always learning so new stuff. One of the things that I wanted to take a moment to point out, because we t we've touched on it just tangentially a couple of times is this idea of lengthening the exhalation. And I did want to kind of underline that because lengthening the exhalation is one of the ways that we can trigger the relaxation response, the rest and digest response. This is the counter counter uh, side to the f um, stress response to the uh, fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze. It's sometimes called response. The other side of that is a relaxation response. And what's fascinating to me is that there's such a close tie-in with that system, with the parasympathetic nervous system and our breathing. And if we can just literally prolong the exhale. And so what you probably do this too is not a you know mystery at all, but just to tell people just to count in whatever pace they want to, just to count as they inhale, and as they exhale, just as they're breathing normally, just to try and continue to breathe normally, but then to to try if they're, for example, say they're taking a three three count inhale and then maybe a, a two or three count exhale, see if they can get to four, see if they can exhale right. to four, see if they can exhale to five without straining. That's the yes. idea. It's not you don't yeah. want to cause more stress. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about that, that association with the, with the relaxation response and prolonging the exhalation? Yeah, I just think it's such a clever and simple tool that we can use. And, you know, for some people, trying to count their breath becomes a little too um, 
mentally challenging. It's just like, oh, I can't really think about that and do it. So that's why I love the humming because we naturally lengthen our exhale without even thinking about it when we actually yeah. sing or hum. So yeah. it's, I, I always say that I'm tricking my students into doing the longer exhale when I introduce that humming because they do it without me having to say, make your exhale longer. It, it's just, it's <laughs> right. a natural response of humming or creating the sound. Uh, so that's a nice simple way if you're, if you're struggling with a count, like trying to breathe in for two and breathe out for four, uh, you might just try the humming as a way to kind of make it a little bit easier for yourself. No, There's, I should also I should also add in that there are more and more studies that show even equal breath in and out, even lengthening the breath. So say taking a five second inhale and a five second exhale, if you do it in a relax, relaxed manner, um, that that also can trigger the relaxation response as well. So there are some other breath techniques that will have a similar effect, but we definitely know that that lengthening of the exhale typically, if it doesn't provoke any anxiety for you, can be very beneficial. Exactly. So um, the other thing that you touch on in uh, the slides that, that you sent me was um, supported inversion practices as part of a yoga routine. Yeah. And I thought I would ask you a little bit more about that and their effect, uh, which has been shown also to trigger the relaxation response, right? Yes. So if you think about a posed leg downward dog, which does take a certain amount of strength and effort, you're partially inverted. So you're, you know, your heart is... Um, uh, lower than your hips. And so there's a, a gradient of fluid in the body that's flowing back towards the, the chest and head area because of gravity. Um, even a standing forward bend where you might rest your forearms on a chair seat if you're flexible enough to do that. So again, part of your body is inverted, not all of your body's inverted, but part of your body's upside down. And you get this uh, rush of fluid back from the uh, lower parts of the body back towards the higher parts of the body which then influences little receptors at the heart and neck area called baroreceptors, kind of like barometer. The weatherman looks at the barometer to see if the weather's changing. So the baroreceptors in our body are looking to see if the internal blood pressure is changing, right? And so when they sense this increase in blood pressure, they send messages to the brain that say, let's do everything we can to reduce blood pressure, slow the heart rate down, to bring the body back into balance. So these supported or simple inversions are a great way to trigger that physiologic response, which is the relaxation response that allows us to calm down on a physiologic level and has wonderful benefits for our overall health, especially when it comes to things like stress management and anxiety and things like that. And two other inverted, uh, supported inverted inversion poses that you've already mentioned are legs up the wall. You mentioned yeah, that as one of the exactly. things that you recommend, which just feels so good. Or yes. if you don't have a wall that you can put your legs up, you can also just put them up on the, a bed, you know, or something, yep. something or a chair where seat. Yep. or a chair seat. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned also the supported bridge where you, yes. you know, um, are, are raising up your hips and putting up a, a, a bolster or a block underneath your hips where you can just hang out there then, which That's is, right. uh, which is cool. So, yeah, and in a supported bridge, you've got, you know, your knees are higher than your chest, your chest is higher than your head. So again, you've got that little gentle downhill flow, almost like a, a mountain stream. I was up on, at the Yuba River in Northern California this last weekend and, you know, came across these beautiful little streamy waterfalls flowing gently down to the river. It's the same thing with the fluid in our body. Hydrostatic pressure pulls that fluid down toward the head, triggers the baroreceptor reflex, and our, we don't even have to do anything. We just get into position and our body takes care of everything else. As long as we are making sure that we're not having stressful thoughts in our mind, the body will actually trigger the relaxation response. 
which again, so cool. So many things yep. you've talked about are, are just so, so neat that we have uh, understanding on a scientific level of what's happening. So we've got just about a minute and I wanted to let you have the last few words of, uh, <laughs> of inspiration or encouragement. So what words would you like to leave with our listeners as we close? Two things I want to leave folks with. Number one, that yoga has the potential to prevent the development of many of the risk factors of chronic inflammation, right? So when we're looking for inspiration, look to that. We know that that yoga is such a great tool. And also, if you do develop some of those conditions that are are related to chronic inflammation, know that yoga can be a great addition to whatever your healthcare team already has you doing to try and bring your body into better health. And I think this is important to keep in mind, especially during this pandemic, where we know that a dysregulation of the um, immune system and the inflammatory response can contribute to a lot of those um, problems that those folks are having. We can actually add in our yoga practices, uh, try to work with someone who's well-versed in that, maybe a yoga therapist, if you can find one in your community, to help you heal and get back into good, healthy balance. Mm, Beautiful. And with that, You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and I've been discussing curbing chronic inflammation with yoga and meditation. My guest has been author, physician, and yoga therapist, Dr. Baxter Bell. You can find out more about him at his website, baxterbell.com. You can follow him on Facebook at Baxter Bell and at Yoga for Healthy Aging, also on Instagram at Baxter Bell Yoga. I should also mention once again your lovely book, which is uh, Yoga for Healthy Aging. It's a great resource for people if you are looking for something. And, and I should mention as part of that book, you do have several yoga routines for different things, for strength, for flexibility, et cetera. And I would highly recommend that uh, if, you, if you don't already have it in your library, listeners, you should check it out. So thanks so much for returning to the show, Baxter. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too, and I look forward to maybe doing it again down the road. Thanks. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So for listeners, join me next time when I will be joined by Nipun Mehta, founder of Service Space, for an episode titled Transforming Ourselves and the World Through Selfless Service. One of the many programs that has grown out of Service Space is karunavirus.org, a play on words for the coronavirus, where karuna is a Sanskrit word meaning compassion. Coronavirus.org offers good news, uplifting stories, and inspiring ideas sent to subscribers daily. This is a volunteer project offered freely without ads or solicitation. So Nipun Mehta will be with me next time. We encourage listeners to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including morning meditation, which occurs every day from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific, also daily afternoon meditation from 4 to 4.30 p.m., and Sunday satsang songs from 10 to 11 a.m. All of those are Pacific time. There's also an upcoming Kriya Yoga Summer Retreat with Yogacharya O'Brien, which will be held June 24th to 27th, and listeners can register at csecenter.org. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Remember to subscribe at your favorite podcast site. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and as always, Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world.
Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 